Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello. In this episode, I am joined by the delightful Nathaniel J. Hall, who is an actor. You might recognize him from It's a Sin. A writer. He's got some plays on touring the UK. You'll talk about them in a bit. And HIV activist, which you'll also talk about in a bit. We will be talking about HIV, sex, and a little bit of drugs and some pretty gross STI symptoms. So if that's the kind of thing you'd rather not hear about, for example, if you're eating a yogurt, maybe now's a good time to sit this one out. Otherwise, let's go. This is probably true. Please be aware that the following contains strong language and adult themes. It would be boring without them. I was diagnosed with HIV from the first my first sexual experience when I was um, sixteen. Hard luck. Well, yeah, absolutely. Like, literally, what are the odds? Like, what are the odds? I'm, I'm one day I'm going to work it out and <laughs> sit with a statistician and be like, what are the odds of that? Because that's pretty unlucky. But, you know, so I'll tell that story briefly and then I've got another story to tell. So essentially, I knew I was gay for probably from about the age of 13, maybe. I was watching, I, do you know what it was? I, I loved the Matrix films. And I used to be like, that was 1999. So I would have been about 13, 14. And I was like, isn't isn't Keanu Reeves fucking cool? I want to be like Keanu Reeves, and then like a few years, few years later, really understanding that that really strong urge was not a way to be like Keanu Reeves. It's like I want to be with Keanu Reeves. You know what I mean? So that was kind of my awakening. But so I knew growing up, this is you know very late nineties, early noughties, in a school that didn't tackle you know homophobic bullying section 28 was in place you know there wasn't any there wasn't as many role models queer people were just not as visible in the, the way that they are today and if they were it was often you know they were being outed by the press or in quite shameful ways you know Stephen Gately and all this sort of stuff and Will Young and actually Will Young um, has a certain resonance with my story because the guy that I met in 2003 whilst I was waiting for a cream tuxedo for my prom looks a bit like Will Young and so I met this guy and you know I'd had all all these feelings and I'd had a bit of a, a thing with the head that I was head boy at school and I was living up to my reputation I bet you were having a little bit of a, a thing with the depthy head boy um, I won't say what we got up <gasps> to what we got up to in the attic which when we were supposed to be watching Big Brother but you know that was all quite very secretive and closeted you know and we weren't able we weren't able to be open and out you know and I wanted to go to the prom with him you know and all that sort of stuff but it just was not going to happen in Stockport in 2003 so I was having this cream tuxedo which was probably my subliminal subconscious going you've got to make sure everyone knows that you're not like them <laughs> you know what I mean that you're a bit different and so I met this guy on the on this park bench and you know looking back I'm like mm, a sprit dodge um because also he was a lot older he was 26 and I was I was this kind of nervous shy well not shy I wasn't shy but I was this kind of slightly anxious nervous 
16 year old but here was all of a sudden this person that was validating everything that I knew to be true and that I felt and that was really intoxicating and really powerful you know he was he was he was attractive and he was tanned and he had bleach tips in his hair you know ripped jeans and he was very 2003 gay but but very very gay and all of a sudden it was like that's the exotic creature that I know I am or want to become so we we go into this relationship I'm sort of keeping it secret from my family. And over that summer after school's finished, we eventually, you know, we go to have sex. And in his in his apartment, his flat, I call it an apartment. It wasn't an apartment. It was a block of council flats. But I tried to upsell it here. It wasn't, it wasn't glam. It's your story. You can make it as romantic as you want. Maybe it was a penthouse <laughs> in the council flat. Who knows? That's the bit that's probably true. <laughs> um, no, it was a council flat in Stockport. <laughs> Oh, the glamour. But, you know, it was my first time and he was older than me and he was showing me the ropes and, you know. Oh, using ropes on your first time. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> no, not quite that adventurous. We had mid-sex. It wasn't the first time. It's not always that great, as lots of gay men will say. It takes a bit of training and getting used to. But that basically, that in, in summary, that relationship didn't really go anywhere. My parents found, found out. My mum sort of was like, he's too old for you. We sort of had this conversation about HIV, which was a little bit too late at that point, but she didn't know that. I didn't know that. And, you know, I was probably ready. I was starting college. He was, he was a, um, worked for an airline. He was cabin crew. He, you know, he was living this very different life. And I was about to go to college and meet new people and, you know, just different people really so so i I, that relationship ended and i I eventually i started getting symptoms when i was on holiday i had a really really nasty seroconversion to the hiv which is when your body starts to create antibodies and fight back i got really sick lost two stone i had all sorts of other symptoms i started college i was really sickly and gone you look at pictures i had discharge downstairs i had like just it was a terrible time i'm i'm just about to turn 17 raring to go with my sexuality going to a new college and i'm like you've got a fucking discharge like you know kind of stumbling as just as i was getting out of the starting block so anyway, I go to the GUM clinic, as they were called back then, at the hospital and, and get tested, have a whole shopping list of sexually transmitted infections. They offered me the HIV test. I refused because you could opt out back then. And they kind of know, like the doctor kind of knows that's what it is. He's checked my lymph nodes. I literally tick every box and so gently kind of encourages me to keep coming back to the clinic. And eventually I get tested for HIV and I find out. I'm HIV positive. And it's like, like we were saying before, like, what are the odds? But also it felt a little bit like at that point where I was like, right, now go be really gay. Like, I've just discovered who I am. <laughs> go and be really gay. Try not to drip on the floor while you're at it. <laughs> it's like Coach Carrie Mean Girls, you know, like, don't have sex, you will get chlamydia and die. And the message at school in sex ed was don't be gay, you will get HIV and die. You'll get AIDS and die. You know, it's awful, awful. I grew up in that era, 86. I was born right into the middle of And that. then there you are speed running it. <laughs> Absolutely. And but what it was kind of a little bit in my psyche, it was like what formulated very early on in my psychosexual kind of self was this idea that 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 those narratives around that we have to overcome about being gay is wrong, it's shameful, it's dirty, because you will get these things, sexually transmitted, whatever, um, or that it's sinful again, you know, the eyes of the Lord or whatever. That actually that prophecy came true 
for me at a very early age. So at a very early age, where I was kind of still formulating my sense of sexual self, it was like, yeah, do you know what? Actually, if you do gay, th- if you do gay shit, you'll get burned. Do you know what I mean? And and so it had this really profound effect. And for for my, I guess for the next fifteen years or so, or maybe even longer. It had a real control over me. I had a really difficult relationship with sexual fluids, you know, and this is the era before you equals you and prep, you know. I wasn't put onto medication for five years. And even then when I was put onto medication, we didn't know that that meant you were undetectable and you couldn't pass it on. So there was constant fear of passing it on. So my relationship with sex was quite complicated. But anyway, that's all context. Let's get to the real story. That wasn't the real story. Good Lord. That's old news, that one. So if we fast forward to... Just before we do, I just want to just want to jump in very quickly. When you said there was a shopping list of STIs, was that tests? Or had this one encounter managed to tick all the boxes? <laughs> oh, no, that was, I, I think at the time, it was gonorrhea, non-specific urethritis, genital warts, and then HIV came a few weeks later. All from one shag? All from, well, it was a few shags with the same person. Good Lord. And that's quite a stereotype with the with the cabin crew as well. I mean, I the, they are known for getting around, but still, <laughs> oh. I know, I know, I know, and 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 you know that was, you know, it's just not what a kind of any seventeen year old gay man wants as, as they're coming out into their sexual self. No, <laughs> welcome. Here's all the diseases and Kylie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also I kind of got them all. I kind of got out of the way like straight away, which is kind of easier then and also it made, made me very well versed in the sexual health clinic and actually getting hiv so early on whilst it had a lot of negative and damaging effects long term in terms of my mental well-being and, and and sexual relationships and so actually what it did do is it kept me safe sexually as well because you know i was I didn't want to get anything else. So actually, you know, that it kind of was like the ultimate sex ed lesson. <laughs> yeah, a little bit harsher than was absolutely necessary, perhaps. But Absolutely, yeah. Bit, bit more, bit, bit harsher than just putting a condom on a banana. No wonder you were oozing everywhere. Bless you. <laughs> well, literally. Well, this is what the next one's oozier. So let me tell you. Oh, fantastic. Sorry, I will shut up. Uh, anyway, <laughs> back to back to the story you actually wanted to tell us. So, so if we fast forward to 2019, I've been through a lot. Like, I've been through a couple of relationships. I've been through a single period. My latest relationship that I've been in for five years has been really chaotic. Um, a lot of codependency. I made a show about it. I made a show about that first story called First Time, and I made a show about that last relationship called Toxic. Um, but you know, we trauma bonded over various different things in our lives, and I just escaped that relationship five years in that but also during that period of time you equals you had come in prep was becoming more available and more widespread and people knew about it and the kind of hiv landscape was radically changing and all of a sudden i was going back into being single with like the ability to really explore my sexuality you know and actually so it's kind of a little bit like another coming out like when I was 16 but you know this is only a few years ago and so I was like great I've escaped that relationship I'm ready I'm gonna get myself out there I'm gonna try some new things sexually and so I did and I threw myself into it and um, I decided I was like 
I'm going to go to a sex party because that's what we do. That's what gay, that's what queer people do. Good and- on you for getting an invite to a sex party. First off, like I, I, <laughs> if anyone's listened to this, slide into my DMs. I've got quite a bit of space in my calendar. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> so I was like, you know, I was like, this is this is something I'm going to try. If I like it, I don't like it. If I don't like it, I don't like it. So I go to this this party, and you know. As as we all know, like I've been seeing those letters all, my whole life on on Grinder H and H, you know, um, high and um, high and horny, and it feels like everyone's doing it right, and it just it seems like it's really prolific. And I'm like, I've never done that. So anyway, I th- I, I go one day. Let's let's try that and let's do it. Um, I'm free. I'm single, and also I don't need to worry about. Like I do need to worry about STIs. I don't need to worry about HIV as such because the the landscape has changed. So HIV completed it, mate. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so I go to this party and I'm like, do I? I'm not sure. I like, do I enjoy it or don't I enjoy it? I think a lot of a lot of sex. If you have sex whilst high, is it just kind of keeps going? It's just like quite repetitive. So yeah, I'm at this party and it sort of smells of like sex and regrets when I walk in and um, oh and I remember I remember going actually and I was in the in the taxi and as I was getting closer I, like, I recognize I recognize where we are and I was like oh oh okay that's um that's my cousin that's my my cousin's old house and my auntie and uncle used to live there so I like know the area and it's like real suburbia and we're talking like big detached properties here not like and like driving up and going it's like one in the morning I'm a little bit like you know worse for wear and I'm like Am I, am I just like going to knock on some like, old lady's door here? Like, am I going to the right place? It turns out it was the right place. Um, and yes, yeah, so I go in, I say, it, it smells a bit of sex and regrets. And I kind of know deep down that maybe I don't really want to be there. But this is what queer people do, right? So I'm going to throw myself into it. So I do. And, um, and I, yeah, I kind of go 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 and go i guess it was kind of nice talking to people and meeting new people but anyway i i i come home and and then i start to realize actually at this point that maybe the the traumas of my past i'm a little bit off the rails you know i'm kind of like putting myself in risky situations and doing things that maybe you know i otherwise wouldn't if i was in a better kind of headspace and i kind of go let's put the brakes on this i need to sort out the five years that i've just been through in this tumultuous relationship i need to get underneath the skin of this hiv diagnosis you know i've got complex post-traumatic stress disorder and my career is going really well at this point i've just been casting it's a sin first show's done really well i'm planning another show and then i start to get symptoms again in the downstairs region and these are like symptoms that i've not had since i was 16 and it's really it's sticky down there do you know what i mean and it's quite painful and i'm quite poorly and actually whilst i was filming it's a sin i wasn't poorly but i wasn't great i was quite run down and i, I would hold this dry skin around my, my nose here and the the makeup team bless them were really good at like covering it up and you know i'm supposed to be like doing this amazing thing and actually there's this kind of other thing that's getting in the way and so eventually i i, I have an, a full checkup when i have my hiv checkup every six months so I, I get an sti checkup and i'm like it's come back totally clear nothing and i'm like mm, i'm not sure i trust that but anyway i'm really busy and i don't have time to go back to the the sti clinic so i go and see my gp <laughs> i go in and she's like re- seems really out of a depth because i'm literally walking i mentioned sex party and she's like oh okay <laughs> not sure this was in the training manual i do love the carefully blank face yeah 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 so i sort of 
trying to tell her, and she has a look and she's like, oh, I think you need to see a dermatologist. And I'm like, for my ass. <laughs> but anyway, I'm like, I don't question her authority. You're, like, you're the GP, you've done the five, seven years medical trade or whatever. So I get a referral to a dermatologist. That takes like, what, six or eight weeks? And it's just like dragging and dragging. And things have kind of improved, but like, it's not great down there. Um, and, you know, and so I go to this dermatologist and she takes one look at it. And she's like, why the fuck have they sent you to me? It's just not my jurisdiction. You need, you need to see a, like a colorectal specialist. So then I get another referral, which is another six to eight weeks. And by this point, another virus, viruses always get in the way in my life. Another virus hits us, it's coronavirus. Yeah, I heard of that one. Yeah, yeah, that one kind of gets in the way of all our lives. So then everything just like almost goes to a standstill in the NHS. And this referral that I've got, is just dragging and dragging and dragging. And all the while, it's not really getting any better. Eventually, I go and see this doctor, this specialist, and he's like, you're going to need a camera up your bum. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you're going to need an endoscopy. We're going to book you in for an endoscopy. And I'm like, great. Okay. Um, So they give me all this stuff on the endoscopy, booked in again, like another six week wait or whatever for this endoscopy. And in the interim, I have my my next HIV appointment with my clinic and I speak in, it's on the phone. They've sent me the kit through the bloods. I'm on the phone talking to the the clinical lead nurse and I've known her for years. I tell her, and she's like, I know exactly what it is. She was like, it's LGV chlamydia. You've got, I can tell you now without seeing, looking at tests, the symptom you're describing to me is LGV chlamydia. And she's like, Long term, if it's not treated, it can do a lot of damage. So I want to get you on antibiotics straight away, even without, we'll send you a test, but we're going to start you on antibiotics straight away. So I'm put on this four this four week course of antibiotics. In the interim, I have to go to the, see this colorectal specialist, this guy who likes shoving cameras up people's bums. I mean, it's an interesting career choice, isn't it? Well, do you know what? It was fascinating. Other than the diet that you have to eat is minging. You have to go on this really low fiber diet, which for me is I'm, I was a vegetarian at the time. I'm vegan now. Literally, the options are like mashed carrot and sweet and white bread. And that's it. It's like an orange squash for about two weeks. And then, oh, cornflakes. You have cornflakes. And then the day before you have to take laxatives. And let me tell you, there are explosive laxatives. There is that. That is the ultimate like douche prep because nothing literally there is not not an ounce of food within your body at all they put you on on your side you have gas and air because it's not the most comfortable thing and then you can see it on screen so you're kind of like really high only briefly but it, like sends you kind of really quite loopy and then you can see inside yourself and then they take a little sample and so anyway the the, the tests from that all come back absolutely fine you know there's no there's nothing untoward but what i'm left with is like it's it's not hideous but there's like a little bit of scarring downstairs do you know what i mean a bit on the inside a bit on the outside you know it's like as i say it's like it doesn't look like a drop pie or anything but it's like <laughs> it's not it's it's not what it looked like when i was 16 do you know what i mean it's not fresh not fresh as a daisy anymore i mean time makes fools of us all in that particular <laughs> area babes but absolutely um, i just want to check uh, lgb chlamydia is that like lesbian gay and bi's or is that <laughs> L- L- lgv it is lgv yeah, chlamydia le- all right lesbian gay and don't know Vegans. Vegans, yeah, I don't know. Lesbian and gay vegan. I'm not up on the various flavours of chlamydia, no, so... I didn't know there was different flavours of chlamydia, <laughs> and apparently that's the worst one. But you've had them all now. Like, you've <laughs> yeah. completed the chlamydia scrapbook as well. Yeah. It's a disgusting image. Anyway, sorry, carry on. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. And so, you know, I sort of get the all clear. The antibiotics work literally like, you know, straight away. Congratulations. And I kind of go like, what just happened? Like, <laughs> other than the fact that like, you know, coronavirus was just this crazy time. My grandfather sadly passed away in the early part of the, the coronavirus pandemic. We couldn't go to his funeral. We couldn't see him in hospital. You know, so many people have these horrific stories around that time. But I was just like, what happened? How did I go from being like, yes, I've escaped this awful relationship to having a camera up my bum and like having horrific scarring. It's not horrific. Just, just, just put it out there. If, you know, if I ever, if anyone listens to this ever, you know, meets me, it's not that horrific. Um, but you know what I mean? And do you know, I was reflecting on it. And the reason why I wanted to tell the two stories is because actually both of those times I was doing things that are not inherently bad things. They're just sexual acts with different consenting people. But actually, the real overriding factor in them was that I felt a lot of shame, a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety at those times in my life. And it was the reasons why I was seeking out different sexual things or doing things with with when I was 16, 26 years old, 10 years older than me. You know, I've seen the Stranger Danger videos, but it was exciting. And it was all of, all of a sudden, it was like, well, the world has not allowed me to be who I am. So I'm going to put two fingers up and, you know, and do this thing and, and you know, be secretive and naughty. And, and I think a lot of queer sex and gay sex is often linked to sexual thrill and secrecy because we have to live in the closet for so long. And then this other time was when I reflect back, actually, I wasn't that empowered. I wasn't making empowering decisions about my sex or my sex life. I was kind of using it as a tool of self-harm. So I guess the moral of the story is, I think as queer people, we have to do a lot of work on being actually being really empowered to have the sex that we want and also not just have the sex that we think we should be having um, because we think everyone else is having it. Um, and... And yeah, just like get your STI checkups, Queens, because you don't want to have a camera up them. I had to have two. I had to go back for a second camera up the bum. And you get a nice biscuit and a, and a cup of coffee at the end, but that's it. I have done worse for less, but still. <laughs> it's not what you want, is it? Did you need a, a zoom lens or something on the second one? Like you had to go back. Oh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was cute in there and you just wanted to have another look. <laughs> Oh. The first one they took a biopsy, and the second one was to check for like the all clear. Well, well so. done on on getting through it and collecting all of those uh, STIs along the way. <laughs> if I had a bingo card, I would have said bingo a long time ago. But look at you now. I do find, as someone who 
has been around the houses a bit, shall we say. <laughs> I'm somewhere between 30 and 75 years old, and I'm single, so I've, I've got around a bit. You do come to kind of regard the STIs as just like, oh, it's just an occupational hazard, basically. It's going to happen. It's the tax you pay. It's going to happen occasionally. You just have to try and not worry about it too much and take as many precautions as you can. But I do sometimes see people, not usually my age, usually a bit, a little bit younger, who are perhaps a little bit less experienced, really worrying about it. Oh, it might be chlamydia. Oh, it might be gonorrhea. I'm like, it's just some pills or an injection in your bum, and you're fine in a week, babes. There's nothing to worry about. Oh, I forgot. I'd forgotten about the. Is that for gonorrhea? The injection in the bum. I can't remember which one it is. But yeah, you feel it right yeah. down your leg as well. It really kind of. I was well versed in the sexual health clinic very early on. You know, I was going. They all knew you by your first name in there. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That was purely because you know the the HIV, and I was so young. And also, when you first get diagnosed back then, you were monitored much more closely than you are now. You're just sort of put straight on medication now, and as long as you reach undetectable within three months, like, and it's fine. You're just there. You're just there every six months. But I was there quite a lot. But I guess on the other hand, what going through that experience very early on did was give me all this sexual sexual anxiety because for me sex became sort of synonymous with being being sick or getting sick so there was all this kind of fear I went into a relationship an eight-year relationship after I was diagnosed you know he remained negative but we had to use condoms for that whole entire relationship and there was just this like always this fear we don't often talk about sex and desire with our partners you know really deeply this just added another barrier in the way of that as well so I've had to do a lot of unlearning in the last sort of five years or so to to try and reassess my relationship with sex and and to not fall back into those patterns of like it having to be in the shadows or it having to be secretive and being empowered to actually be really sex positive because I I always thought I was you know, I'm living my best queer life, doing all these things. And actually, you know what? I wasn't because to go to that party, I had to be drunk and high, you know, or like, not say again that that's not, that's inherently a bad thing. But in order to loosen my inhibitions, that's what I have sort of had to do. And it's like, I question, I go, I should be able to do that if I, without. And then I question, is it something that I actually want to do or is it self-harming in, in some way? The question that you, that you have to kind of ask yourself is, do I need to be high to do this? And is that a good thing, really? Because, yeah, and, and um, good for you for, for doing that kind of interrogation and that kind of thing. You said you had an unusual re- relationship with sex after that first diagnosis. Being a horny teenager, it's like <laughs> you're going to still want to do it. So how was that relationship manifesting before you started going to sex parties because everyone was <laughs> well i mean that one that was a long long time after that but when i was when i when i was first diagnosed i think i went straight into a relationship and it format we fomented quite a powerful relationship because of that we bonded over this this experience this thing that had happened it sort of turned out in the long run to kind of be our downfall and he ended up uh, leaving me for one of our friends who he'd been having a relationship with and then he got married to them. Um, well, that's awkward. All very dramatic. I was throwing his clothes out the, out of the front door and out of the top window as well because we just moved in together. But I think my relationship with sex, I say complicated because yes, I'm still a sexual being and I'm, you know, and I've still got a sex drive and I still love, you know, sex and I love gay sex and I love queer sex and I wouldn't change it for the world. I always struggled to communicate what 
I wanted. And I don't think I even knew what I wanted. In more recent years, as I've tried to push through that, the sex I've had has just like gone off the charts in terms of like quality. Like I'm having really like I'm nearly 40 and I'm having the best sex of my life. And you hear people say that and you're like, really? Is that true? And you're like, yeah, that's true. Because there were so many hang-ups and anxieties in my 20s. You know, not just the, the HIV stuff and everything, but also just the general hang-ups of like, you know, body hang-ups and trying to fit in. And like, when I go out, do I have to, I have to, you have to go to bed with someone at the end of the night and all these fucking stupid things, these stupid pressures that are there in our hypersexualized queer culture that actually now I look at and go, why did you buy into that? Why did you worry so much about all those things? And why didn't you just focus on, like focus more on consent and pleasure of what you want and what your partners want but no one gives us the tools to have that conversation no one equips us when i when i had that first encounter with this guy who was 10 years older than me the glamorous flat in stockport uh, glamorous apartment he pulled he he pulled out the safer sex pack that you get in the bars in manchester you know and then he just put the condoms one side and took the lube and i was a little bit like I, I wasn't stupid. I knew about STIs, and I was like, I think, I think I want to use condoms. And he was like, No, it's fine. I've had, I've just had a full STI checkup. And in that situation, as a kind of timid, scared sixteen-year-old being shown the ropes, you're like, Okay, it's you know, like it's my right of passage, isn't it? So you're going to trust the person older. And I think often we're modelling our sexual behaviours from our queer elders who have modeled it from theirs and they've not always it's not always been the best and i love gay people i love our community but there's a lot of trauma and there's a lot of you know we're we're not always that great at like man never getting consent and pleasure and you know all those kind of things so i think we learn bad habits from one another and I don't think it's uncommon. I speak to all my, almost all my friends. They talk about their first sexual experience. And most people, it was with a man who was older than them. And I'm not saying that's inherently bad because I'm not one of those people that's like, oh, you can't have an age gap. But there's there's a difference between, like, say, a 26-year-old and a 36-year-old having sex or a relationship and a 16-year-old and a 26-year-old. There is a difference we're great and we're so open and and sometimes I'm like we need to just get we need to have a conversation and get our house in order here we're not always getting it right and it's it's doing people a lot of harm in, in places if we talk about the HIV age generation you know so the gay men who were coming of age in the the late 70s early 80s and kind of maybe early 90s they were dealing with this you know awful horrific pandemic but also if a lot of them were coming of age in a time when to get sex the places you had to go to specific places to get it you had to go cruising or to cottaging when you're when you're having those first sexual encounters when you're younger you you can't often have it at home because back then particularly there was less social acceptance of queer people so you're going to 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 find it in these places and these places and spaces again are not inherently bad in any way and and having sex in those man, in that way is is not a bad thing in of itself but i think if your first sexual experience is 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 kind of fomented around this very very secretive but also very very like kind of kind of nerve-wracking and anxiety inducing and kind of thrilling experience like will I get caught like what's going to happen or like you know 
I'm going to have sex with someone, with a stranger outside. Like it's really dangerous. And I think if that's some of your early formation of sex, your your sexual desires become kind of associated with thrill. Like you need thrill. And what's the next thrill? How's it going to be bigger and better? And if you're our generation, I guess that moved online. Yeah, that moved into grind. Well, I've moved from when I was gayer, whatever. Nannery, around gayer. Um, you know, with, with profiles and the kind of advent of social media, and there's a whole other conversation to have about the was as the generation. We were the first generation that started our lives non-digital and became digital through it. We were that, that transition. So you know, the whole other conversation there, but it kind of the same thing went online so this idea of like where we where we where we seek out sex is still hidden so we don't go to the cruising ground or the cottage or the sauna we go online to a hidden closed space to seek out sex and the same i think in the same patterns kind of play out and i think there is a generation after us that maybe is slightly um, or maybe even slightly rejecting that i don't know or like that idea um but I, th- I do I do think that until we have a world where LGBTQ plus young people are free to be themselves absolutely in school, free to date people of their own age, to experiment with people of their own age, I feel like that sort of generational trauma, sexual trauma might just continue getting passed on. Um, and, and, and that's why I think it's really important to for you know, sex positive education and LGBTQ inclusive education and continually fighting for a world that starts to have this conversation more openly. And that's, that's my that's my TED talk on it. We become for others the person we wish we'd had for ourselves. That's a badly worded version of that. But you know. no, I like what I like that. Yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, absolutely. That, I think that's the only way to work through trauma in a lot of ways. If you're not actively helping others not have to deal with the shit that you went through, then you haven't dealt with your tra- trauma properly. You hear so many people like, I went through blah, blah, blah. I don't see why anyone else shouldn't. And like, well, it clearly wasn't fun and it's fucked you up. So maybe mm. that's the reason why no one else should do it. But yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Uh, wonderful. Thank you. That yeah. is a delightful story of cameras up bums and all sorts of traumas. I can't believe, can't believe I'm committing it to record. I haven't told anyone this. Well, I have, but I've not, I've not kind of told it in, in kind of explicit detail like that. I'm thinking some of it might go in my next show, which is called A-Hole. So, what a fantastic segue <laughs> um, into you paying the bills. So tell us all about uh, where people can find you, what's going on, what your projects are and how people can support you and your amazing work. My website is nathanieljhall.co.uk and my handle on Instagram and X, formerly known as Twitter. Actually, I'm going to call it Twitter. It's the only thing we're allowed to dead name. It's okay to dead name Twitter, isn't it? Um, and uh, uh, it's at Nathaniel J. Hall. Um, and my current show, Toxic, uh, premiered last year in October. The new and improved version is going on tour from September this year. So it's touring m- much of England and hopefully maybe Wales as well. About 50 shows, 60 shows, I think we're doing. And um, I've also got um, a short documentary on Channel 4 Digital coming out very, very soon um, about a unique HIV subculture. And it's um, it's a little bit shocking. I've seen things that I can't unsee. So that's coming up as well. Um, and like I say, I'm, I'm just I'm just about to delve into working on my new show, which is a whole, a sort of stand-up show with a bit of a twist. It's not that you get to see my whole, sorry. 
I thought about saying that and I'm like, no, no, let's, I'm better than that. And I'm glad that I wasn't the only one who thought it. So that's good. So if people want to see Toxic when it's on tour. Best place is to follow me on social media mm-hmm. um, at Nathaniel J. Hall or follow my theatre company at Dibby Theatre, D-I-B-B-Y, um, or keep uh, sign up for our newsletter on uh, dibbytheatre.org. If you follow me, I won't shut up about it. So you'll be sick of it, honestly. So just follow me and then you'll know. It's going to be sick of hearing about your a-hole. Fantastic. (laughs) I look forward to the grand opening. (laughs) Ah, that's brilliant. That's going in the publicity. That was Probably True, the LGBTQ plus storytelling project created to remind all of our queer siblings that we are none of us alone. If you liked it, then join the Patreon or just tell all your friends. If you didn't like it, tell me. Come at me, bro. 